good dawn, good dusk, good night, good day, whatever you want to call it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 24 of Dame's Takes. I am your host, Dame Fuego, because I give you them hot takes. I give you that five, boy. That's all I do is I give you that five. We have a, uh, so much, literally so much to talk about, so much to go over. Just everything. We got a lot this week. Most certainly have a lot. We got some music, boxing, um, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of basketball, college basketball, college football, and NFL to talk about. I got so much, so much, so much here. I'm saying this so much, but it more so depends on how much I actually go in on each topic. If I if I don't give each topic its life, then I mean, we might cut it a little short today, but I'm not one to cut it short. So we'll go ahead and get into it. Um, we'll start with music as usual. Uh, oof, some, you know, we've got to talk about a couple of my faves. Um, someone I haven't talked about on the podcast, but someone I actually talked about recently, um, just in IRL in my real life. Um, Amine, excuse me. Amine. Amine is actually really, really good. He's a very good rapper. He's someone who I think is underrated. Um, he, came onto the scene with a very, very, very good single that everybody knew. It was a song of the summer. Um, followed that up with a very good project and then followed that project up with another very good project. So I think that that's someone who's kind of flying under the radar a bit. Um, he's he's been He's been nothing but good. Like he has not delivered anything bad yet. So um, I think he's someone who we should definitely look out for, someone who we should pay more attention to. And someone who we should honestly, I feel like he he's one of the better young artists out there. He hasn't really, like I said, pushed forward completely. He had that he had his first single, which really like made him a household name, if if even that, because it was it really was the song of the summer. So with music, it is it gets a little a little funky, but I would I would consider him a household name, and I think he's been putting out pretty good projects ever since that song so he's i don't see how he's someone that i feel like he isn't talked about enough i feel like he's pretty underrated because the, the facts are there he had the song of the summer and just proceeded to keep hitting us over the head with really good songs whether it's actually just going in rapping whether it's a vibe whether like he he's a very good musician he makes good songs like all together he's a very good artist which we'll actually probably get into a little later um, another person who I really love is Don Tolliver, another newer um, guy. He he don't miss. He just makes good music. Every song that he makes is very good. <laughs> um, and yeah, those are just two guys who I really, really enjoy. And I'm talk about uh, uh, Don Tolliver a little bit later. Um, some new music we had this past week. Lil Yachty released his latest project, Little Boy, Little Boat 3.5. I actually gave it a 5.5. It was actually pretty long because Yachty likes to utilize um, banging beats, some slapping, some really good beats, and just use a minute and a half of it and kind of just go stupid for a minute and a half. Um, he did that on Coffin. I like the song Coffin on this t- project. Very, very good. Um... But overall, I think that, A, I'm not, not a huge y- Yachty fan, but besides that, I just feel like he had a lot of good beats that he kind of used, that he didn't really use to to their fullest potential. Um, I think he uses auto-tune too much. Um, and yeah, I just think, I think he has songs that he kind of just sings on, or he kind of just, 
I don't know. I think he's just trying to be unique and just trying to stay within himself and be himself, which, of course, I have no problem with that. It just doesn't resonate with me too much. So I gave that one a, a 5.5 out of 10. Wasn't wasn't the worst thing. Wasn't too bad. But I think it could have been a lot better. Left a lot to be desired. So, um, yeah, 5.5 out of 10. Um, Juicy J released a, a new album. It's been... I don't even know how long since Juicy J released an album, but Juicy J's newest album, I think I'd give that one a six out of 10, maybe a six and a half. Um, I like all the songs pretty much, like all the all the songs are, aren't bad. It's just like, I don't expect too much from Juicy J in the first place. So that's why I give it like a six, six and a half. But I also say that like, I would suggest listening to it and finding the songs that you like and, and uh, taking those along with you. But uh yeah juicy juicy j is actually i love juicy j i think probably should have put him in the in the fave section as well juicy j and three six mafia huge huge fan slava my knob is one of my favorite songs ever like literally i could i have so many different stories surrounded around the song slava my knob we're not going to get in that today um but it's a really it's a spectacular song uh juicy j's has been in the game for 30 years and i still think i'm tired of hearing him Obviously, I'm he he's been in the game longer than I've been alive, so I haven't really gotten all 30 years of him. But uh, Juicy J is really good. I think he's really good. I think he doesn't do too much. He doesn't do too little. I think he's he stays. He's another person who kind of stays in his lane and excels at just being himself and like doesn't really try and experiment too crazy or go way beyond himself or way beside himself. Like he's just him and he has no problem with that. And I I, I think I like it. Um, he's kind of like. I talked about him last week, Tyga. Like, Tyga's an artist who I don't expect too much from. I don't expect Tyga to give me one of the best projects of the year. Like, I don't expect him to give me one of the best anythings of the year. So, with that expectation already being a little low, I think I just kind of enjoy. I just enjoyed it for what it was. Like, it's it's some it's some solid songs. Like, yeah, it's Juicy J, so you got some solid beat selection. He had a lot of really good features, and overall, like, I think his music you just have fun too. It's not like I said. It's not not. You're not gonna listen to this and be like, "Oh, I'm looking for the best project of 2020, or the best for even the second half of 2020." Like you're not getting that. You know, you're not getting that. You just are listening to the music for the music. You're just enjoying it. Um, otherwise, Bad Bunny just released a new project. That one I have not been able to listen to yet. I love Bad Bunny. I can't understand what he's saying half the time, but I do love Bad Bunny. His music's just really, really good. I it don't, I feel like you don't really have to understand what he's saying to just enjoy it. Um, Otherwise, for new music this past week, Lil Wayne released No Ceilings 3. I actually got the chance to listen to it, to listen to it this morning. I think maybe I got to listen to it one more time, but I would give that one a six, six and a half, maybe a seven, just because I love Lil Wayne so much. Um, the first half, the first, honestly, I'd probably give the first half like an eight, and I give like the second half like a six, so it like averages out to about a seven, six and a half, because the first half I was really enjoying uh, Drake's verse on BB King freestyle was absolutely spectacular. Drake is absolutely spectacular. He's just way too good. Um, I'm really excited for Drake's uh, newest album, Certified Love, Lover Boy. I cannot wait for that one. Uh, it seemed like it, it, it's going to be like like the Drake album. Like it might be might be the one. He might be it might be because the the comparisons between music and basketball have always been really good between Drake and LeBron. Maybe certified lover boy is like LeBron winning this championship in LA this past year. Like he might be like, "Dang, you've been in the game for so long. You've given us so many classics, so many classic albums, so many classic songs already." 
how is it possible that you have something that's even better than all of that or something that's just as good as all of that like it might be one of those kind of deals so i'm very excited for that but um also um dj Khaled said that there's going to be a i am not a human being three released in 2021 so as a wayne fan i'm interested in that but like i said the second half of no ceilings three kind of disappointed me he let his sons rap which like that was nice that was good for them that was cool but their kids they're they're all right um and yeah he had a lot of features in the second half that i was just like eh. and yeah it just kind of felt like he kind of like gave the second half of the tape to to the rest of young money to, to his kids and stuff like that to let them get some shine let them gain garner some fans maybe um, but yeah, I'd probably give that like a solid seven overall. I probably would listen to it again. But I just love Wayne. Like Wayne is is timeless to me. Wayne can just spit forever, and like he got bars. Like it's not gonna all be great. It's gonna be like watching Michael Jordan in the Wizards jersey. Like, damn, he's still pretty good. But you know he's better. Like you know he's been better. You know he could be better. Like you're just looking at it like, damn, I've seen a better version of this before. But he actually isn't doing terrible. He's not doing that bad. So I would definitely um, consider this tape like Lil Wayne's Wizards MJ moment. And that's kind of what he's been going through lately. He shows flashes for sure. He he definitely shows you why he was considered the best rapper alive, why he still is by some. Um, but I feel like at the end of the day, like he, he's he's dead. As a huge fan of Lil Wayne, I, I see the wash. Like I see I see where he's gotten worse. And I see where, where like his style doesn't really fit anymore. Like music changes, it's just like basketball. Like the styles of basketball change, the game changes. Music is the same way; it changes over time. Things that used to be popular twenty years ago aren't as popular. Things that you were doing back then, you're not doing now because that's just not the like it's not the way of the land. It's not the way of the world right now. And I think Wayne's kind of uh, succumbed to that. Is that he's kind of just doing his own thing, and he's don't he don't really care. He's not trying to fit what he does into um today's music in today's rap game i think he does that sometimes and that isn't for his better but i don't know i he's wayne's a very interesting person because i feel like his style has kind of gone out like rapper rappers don't do what he did anymore but he can still do it like because he's little wayne like he just still takes other people's beats and it's like ah you didn't really necessarily do a better job than they did with that beat but like it's little wayne snapping on a beat like Little Wayne snapping on somebody else's beat. It's just, it's timeless. It's classic. And I, I personally can't get enough of it. Um, the moat, some little music uh, factoid that I found out this week. Um, the most expensive music video ever was Scream by Michael and Janet Jackson. I had no idea. Someone brought that to my attention this week and I was just like, what? The most expensive is Scream? Like, I actually didn't even get to watch it since someone told me that, but um, I, I can make sense of it. Like, I can I can definitely make sense of it because, like, Mike Mike is a perfectionist. Michael Jackson is just he he's just a perfectionist. Like, he's literally trying to be perfect, and whatever it takes to be perfect, he's going to do that. At the time, uh, the nominal cost for Scream was $7 million. Now it's been adjusted to that being eleven, uh, over $11.5 million. Like, whew, boy, that is a lot. And, of course, in the top, 
top six is another Michael Jackson song. Um, we got f- a couple of my, uh, Madonna songs in here as well in the top ten. We got Victory by Puff, B.I.G., and Busta Rhymes. I've, I'm not surprised. Too Legit to Quit is in the top ten. Heartbreaker by Mariah Carey and Jay-Z is in the top ten. Doesn't Really Matter by Janet Jackson is also in the top ten. Which, like, I'm not surprised that the Jacksons are in here because that's what they that's what they do. I'm not surprised that Busta Rhymes made his way into here because that's these are people who actually like really really cared about music videos and wanted them to be they wanted them to tell a story they wanted to send a message they wanted to do a lot of different things with their music videos and so yeah the most expensive music video ever was Scream by Michael and Janet Jackson um my song of the week for this week is No Idea by Don Tolliver like I said Don Tolliver is a really I love him I love his album After Party uh, or no, I'm sorry. The album's called Heaven or Hell, which is also a name on, the, on a name of one of the songs on the project. But Heaven or Hell was really, really good. I feel like there's no skips. Like, I can listen to that entire thing, front and back, back and front, shuffle straight through. It doesn't matter. I can listen to that thing over and over again because that album is just really good. And I feel as though while you can get the same kind of vibe from a lot of these songs, I feel like they're definitely different in their own ways. And I can listen to the whole project. Like, the whole project kind of ranges and does different things to where I can listen to the whole thing over and over again. And it's not... I'm not getting too tired of it. Um, But, of course, another thing that happened this week, we had the Grammys announced, the Grammy nominations. Um, There were definitely some misses. Definitely some misses. But um, this year's a little interesting. Even the way they kind of went about um the nominations is actually a little bit surprising for best rap album we have black habits by d smoke actually haven't had a listen uh have haven't had a chance to listen to it um alfredo by freddie gibbs really really good album a written testimony a written testimony by jay electronica really really good album king's disease by Nas. i was actually surprised to see that one in there because i listened to that album i just didn't think that it was that good i think it didn't think it was grammy good and the allegory by royce the five nine um i actually listened to book of ryan which was the previous project by royce the five nine and i loved that one a lot actually so i have to listen to the allegory because obviously it's grammy nominated um, we've had a lot of people saying that Black Thoughts or Black Habits by D Smoke is like the outliers, the one that you're kind of surprised is there and that you don't really think is going to be there um, amongst the people I've spoken to. But uh, overall, I feel as though I feel as though with this year, especially with the best rap album category, the Grammys kind of went the Oscars route of it where it's like, hey, you might not have heard all of these rap albums. You might not have heard of all of these people, but is one of the best and if you watch it if you listen to it then you'll understand like this is actually yeah this is one of the best of the year um i've heard a lot of very good things about the allegory i think that either the allegory um or a written testimony might win my dark horse is alfredo by freddie gibbs and i feel like because black habits is there like it obviously has a chance to win but i feel like because it's there like don't be surprised if d smoke actually does win um, I'm not going to go over every category and all the songs and everything like that. Uh, I personally don't really care for the Grammys that much at all. I think that um, especially after we had Frank Ocean, who doesn't even want to put up 
his music for consideration to the Grammys. We have Macklemore, who won Best Album over Kendrick Lamar, Drake, Jay-Z, Kanye in the same year, like all, like all at once. And then immediately texts Kendrick and posted on social media, text Kendrick saying, I'm so sorry that they messed up. Like, like that's embarrassing. And as a community, like it's a little difficult, like, like just like with the Oscars, as the black community, it's a little difficult because we don't really care. Like we don't necessarily care about everything. We care about our stuff. And this is why in music, we, we get a little more defensive than in movies, but we get defensive because it's ours and we think we have our own opinions of what's really good and what's what stands out amongst the rest while the academy has it sees things differently like these this the academy the academy is going to see things differently than than the way the black community does forever and they've tried or at least they say they've tried to try and do a little bit better on that and be a little more understanding of where we're coming from and uh the plight of the of the urban communities that just because it doesn't check all of you guys' boxes doesn't mean that it's some of the, that that's not some of the best work. Um, I I've I really need to look up and find the criteria for how they do all of these nominations because it is a little confusing. It, it's it's a bit confusing because even if even like a friend of mine was saying this if. Even if they're going for a, we're trying to be, the, the rap album category is going to be for the lyricists, or we're going to be looking for more um, lyrically sound rappers. That's good, that's cool, but someone like Lil Baby, who's had an absolutely smash of a year, he should have he should be in here some more. He should have some nominations, he should have more nominations, because he's been killing it all year. I didn't listen to his album personally, but I mean, I haven't listened to a couple albums on here. Um, I haven't listened to his album personally, but the songs that I have heard, he's killing it. He's rapping. He is rapping, rapping. That boy is spitting. So it's not even necessarily trying to be too lyrical, but he is very, he, he drops bars. Like he has lyrics. He's for sure lyrical to his, in his own right, but he's also making hits, smash hits. He's doing features. He's been doing features all year. He's been killing it. So I need, I don't, I don't really understand the criteria, or what exactly their criteria is or how it works, but it it's a little confusing. It's a little confusing. It doesn't really match up. It hasn't really been consistent. And uh, yeah, like I said, personally, I'm not I'm I'm not really I don't really care that much. Like it's the Grammys. They're known to mess up. They're they're known to slip up. The weekend has no nominations. Brent Fiaz, I'm pretty sure, has no nominations this year. Um, I'm glad Giveon. Um, or Givian got in for his album Take Take Time, but even like that, that's one. And I I'm glad Black Pumas is in there. Like Black Pumas, I think they had a really good album. I would love for them to win um, Record of the Year, win a couple of different um, categories that they're nominated in. But overall, it's the Grammys, and it's just like the Oscars. Like they tend to kind of shun us because. Not even necessarily we don't do things by the book, but their book isn't the same as our book. What's a perfect movie to the Academy might not be a perfect movie in the black community. So I don't know. Like, And the same thing goes for music. Like The perfect record to them might not be a perfect record to us. Might not be. So it's a little interesting. 
Um, it's a little bit of a of a mix of cultures, and I think that that's a big problem that the black community has whenever it comes to award shows is that they are talking. They're not just talking about the black community. They're talking about everybody. Everybody's music this year. So with that comes comes a lot of things. It comes with with them making mistakes, and it also comes with them just saying, "Hey, just because the community thinks that it's perfect doesn't mean that we think it's perfect." And we have to be a little bit more understanding about that. But pushing forward from music, there was some boxing this past weekend. We had the Jake Paul Nate Robinson fight. Um, uh, there's not much to talk about. It was quite embarrassing. Nate Robinson. I just wish that a few things for Nate Robinson. I just wish that he wouldn't have been that there wouldn't have been so much promo. There wouldn't have been so much talking. Blah blah blah. Like there was a lot going on for him to come out and really just kind of dive at Jake Paul over and over again. Like, he couldn't even stand in a boxing stance. Like, it was like watching a little brother and a big brother fight. And it, it just didn't, like... That was a waste. That was a waste. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't really buy pay-per-view in the first place, for, especially for fights, because they can end in the first round, and it's like, you just pay $50 to watch first round for, like, one round. Like, but Nate kind of... Like, Nate, that was really disappointing. It was incredibly disappointing. Like, Nate just, just really, like dropped the ball on this one like he didn't even really like those weren't even haymakers it's not even like he was just throwing haymakers at jake paul hoping to land one like he was just diving at him and it, it was obvious like it was just obvious that nate robinson was gonna get knocked out and so it's, it was just so ugly like i started thinking about conspiracy theories like was this ever really a fight was this just jake paul trying to get to 2-0 and like is jake paul gonna continue to fight celebrities and people who have absolutely no boxing background until he gets to like 10-0 and and then wants to actually be a boxer and moving to the other side, Jake Paul is talking about he's a real boxer. He's not a YouTuber anymore. This is what he wants to do. Then let's really do it. You're fighting an NBA player, not even a tall one. You're fighting one of the shortest NBA players that to, in the last 30 years, ever probably. You're fighting one of the shortest NBA players with absolutely no boxing background. They have the audacity to call it a professional debut for Nate Robinson in a professional fight in general when Jake Paul only has one fight under his belt against another YouTuber and Nate Robinson's never fought before in his life. How is this a professional fight? This is literally the definition of an amateur fight. Um, so that bothers me. But then he wants to sit there and try and call himself a boxer. You're not a boxer. You haven't boxed anybody. You haven't fought anybody. No one. You have not fought anyone of any validity. And if you did even fight a lower-ranked actual boxer, I would love to see him actually get a win because you're sitting there talking this mess. You're saying you're an actual boxer. I want to see you fight an actual boxer. If you're such an actual boxer, then why are you wasting your own time? Why are you wasting all of our time? Um, now to the real fight. Um, I think Mike Tyson looked really good. But so did Roy Jones Jr. Jones Jr. survived the fight. He fought the way I would expect from uh, Roy. If that was Mayweather instead of him, then he would have fought the exact same way. It w it's good boxing. You you get your hits in, you dodge his punches, and you get out of dodge. Because A, it's Mike Tyson. But B, that's, that's how being a good fighter is. That's, that's what being a good boxer is. Good boxing doesn't necessarily involve a knockout. And that's what Roy Jones Jr. does. That's what Floyd Mayweather Jr. Or Floyd Mayweather. Is he a junior? I think he's a junior. He might be a senior. No, yeah, he's a junior. Uh, that's what Mayweather and Jones both do. They just box. Like, I'm going to hit you a few times, and I'm going to dodge like 80 of your punches, and I'm going to hit you a few times, and I'm going to keep on dodging. It's ducking and dodging. 
and that's that it's skill it takes actual skill to be able to do that not just throw your hands all over the place and hope you land one good punch to actually go in go in there and land some hits dodge some hits keep your energy up keep your stamina right and be able to survive a fight these are two very older older gentlemen um tyson hasn't fought in 15 years 15 plus years and I mean, Roy Jones Jr. fought two years ago. So, I mean, Tyson said that after the fight. He was like, everyone's worried about uh, Jones. Everyone's worried about worried about Roy. But he fought two years ago and won a championship. I ain't fought in 15 years. No one's worried about me. And it's right. I mean, it's Mike Tyson. Like, his hands were literally lethal weapons. Like, they had to register his hands as, as weapons. I'm pretty sure they did that for all boxers. But, like, for real, though, like... That boy Mike is no joke. And Tyson said after the fight, too, he said, man, everything hurts. His just head to head, it hurts. Like him punching you in the gut, it hurt. Him punching you in the side, it hurt. Him punching you in the head, it just hurt. Everything hurts from him. So I think like it was, it was, I had a moment watching the fight where it was like, wow, this is really happening. Like this is really surreal. Um, I get to see Mike Tyson because I've seen Roy Jones Jr. fight. I've seen so many of his highlights. Like, I love Roy Jones Jr. He's actually one of my favorite boxers of all time. Someone who's kept me in boxing and kept me a fan of boxing over the years. But to really see him fighting live like that on pay-per-view, like, that was a first. That was a real first to see him live like that and for him to be fighting against Mike freaking Tyson. Like, these are two guys who I never thought I'd actually be able to really see on TV, like, fighting. And I got to see them both at the same time fighting against each other. So it was actually a very surreal. It was a great moment for both of those guys, for us as boxing fans. It was just a great, it was just great all around. I actually like really loved it a lot. I would love for them to go again, but I would totally understand if Roy Jones Jr. said, I'm not fighting him again because he's a monster. And the next time Mike Tyson gets in that ring, he might be ready to hurt somebody for real. Cause I, I saw it, Mike was ready to kill him. Mike was ready to kill, but Roy was not gonna be killed. He refused to be killed. And I, I don't know. I think I kind of like if Tyson's up for it and if Tyson's willing to train and be and get ready for it again and all things check off health health wise, then I have no problem with them running it back. All right. Pushing forward. We're going to uh, touch on baseball real quick. Baseball is literally moving like a turtle. Like there's really like barely any news really going on. But um, the Boston Red Sox bring back Eduardo Rodriguez on a run year deal. And the Kansas City Royals have signed pitcher Mike Miner, who actually paid for the play. He came into the league. He broke into the major leagues with the Tampa, with the not the Tampa Bay, with the Kansas City Royals. And the Royals signed um, outfielder Michael Taylor to a one-year deal. Let's go ahead and get into some basketball. Seeing the basketball songs made me realize that I didn't sing first in a month because it's the first of the month. Wake up, wake up. The last first of the month of um, 2020. So I got to make sure I play me some Bone Thugs and Harmony, Harmony here later today. I will play it on the podcast, but I'm going to be really mad if somehow they hear it or somebody hear it. And all of a sudden they're trying to be like, oh, you don't own the rights to that song. And I got to like switch it up. I got to edit it out. And then, no, nah, I'm not doing all that. I'm not doing I can sing it myself and then they can fight me. I don't know. Um, let's go ahead and for one, I'll do it a little bit out of order, especially because there's not much to talk about for basketball. I'll cover basketball really fast, then go to college basketball, college football, and then we'll get into the NFL. And uh, that'll actually do it for us this week. Um, I have a I have an elephant in the room, but I haven't really solidified it, so it's going to be kind of off the dome this week. Um, let's just go ahead and dive into basketball. 
We have two weeks until the NBA preseason, actually 10 days to be specific. 10 days until the NBA preseason. Let's go ahead and get into a little bit of basketball news. Um, Campbell Walker is going to be out until January. He had a stem cell shot um, injection into his knee. So um, that'll be pretty interesting for Boston. I think that should hopefully that doesn't mess the mess up their um, camaraderie, their continue continuity. I'm not sure how to say that word. I just hope that doesn't mess up the flow of the team for next year because obviously Jason Tatum just signed a big deal. Jalen Brown, there's two players who just keep on getting better every year. So now without Kimba, you can expect both of them to really step up and definitely try and, um, and without Gordon Hayward even too, you're going to have to see both of those players step it up and try and push Boston forward and put Boston in a comfortable spot and make sure they win games early. So then when Kimba comes back, it'll be easier to work him into the, work him back into the team and work him back in with everybody. And hopefully it doesn't mess them up too bad and they can, um, they can have a good flow just going throughout the season. Um, Andrew Bogut officially retires from the NBA. Um, he was actually still playing overseas in Australia. And so he's now officially retired from basketball. No word on what he's going to be doing next. Um, Dennis Schroeder has said, as it's been making its rounds, Dennis Schroeder is reportedly going to be starting for the Lakers. A, Dennis said that it was one of the one, a part of the deal in terms of him going to the Lakers, is that they were gonna that he planned on starting, um, that he planned on starting from the jump, like not not being easy to start. No, from the jump, like he's gonna start. He said he did the off the bench thing last year for OKC. He was closing games for them. He played big minutes. He played starter minutes for them. He he's not trying to come off the bench, especially after last year when he was robbed. If you ask me, when he was robbed, and that's not even a biased thing. That's not even like he's a Laker now kind of thing. I actually think that Dennis Schroeder should have won Sixth Man of the Year last year. I think he was super instrumental. He was so important to the Thunder last year. He definitely deserved that award. Um, but the Lakers otherwise um, bring back Jared Dudley for another year. Um, uh, the Hornets have officially completed the sign-in trade for Gordon Hayward. Two second-round picks are going with Hayward to Charlotte for a second-round pick that the Celtics only get if the Hornets are top five in the league. Not top five in the in the East, top five in the league. Um, it seemed a little unlikely that the Charlotte Hornets will be one of the top five teams in the league next year. So it, it appears that Boston will only be getting the largest trade exception in NBA history at $28.5 million um, for Gordon Hayward and two second round picks. Now... That's actually huge. Like, obviously, $28.5 million is a huge number. And obviously, the largest in history, very huge. But actually, so seriously, for Boston, this is huge. Because trade exceptions help to make money work when you're doing trades. So, now, the Boston Celtics have $28.5 million to put into any trade. So, if they wanted to trade for, let's just say, Russell Westbrook, and they were going to trade a player who's saying, like, Russ makes like $44 million this year. So let's say Boston wanted to trade a player who's making $15.5 million this year for Russ, like like um, Marcus Smart. So 
if Marcus Smart as this, I don't know if he's, if this is what he's making. If Marcus Smart is making fifteen point five million dollars this year, and you put that with that twenty eight point five million dollar trade exception, they can put those together to trade for Russell Westbrook straight up, because that would all equal out to forty four million dollars. That's basically what it is. The trade exception is there to help the Celtics in case they need to make up any money in any contracts. Now, they can't just be like, oh, we're going to use $4 million here, $5 million there. They have to use the 28 all at once. Or I think that they can use they can use a large sum of the 28 and then the rest either go. I think the rest goes to the other team. But. That, like I said, that that could have very, very, very big implications for the future. So that's something to watch out for. Otherwise, the Hornets bring back Bismack Biombo and they sign their draft picks: Lamelo Ball, Vernon Carey, uh, Nick Richards, and they also picked up an undrafted free agent. And the Thunder are the latest team to say that they will not have any fans in attendance this year. The last little bit of basketball of NBA news. Um, Zion Williamson is actually going to play some of the small forward position this year. GM David Griffin says the real Zion comes when he is healthy. And he's not wrong. He's, I mean, the Pelicans are definitely a team to watch out for, especially with Zion Williamson. But Zion has to be healthy. If Zion can't stay on the court, if Zion's struggling to stay on the court, then that's going to be what we talk about. That's not going to be his play. He played pretty well last year. It's not going to be his play we talk about. It's going to be, oh, can Zion stay on the court? And how effective can the Pelicans be with and without him? Uh, moving forward, we're going to go ahead and talk about a little bit of college basketball. We've had a couple of upsets already this, already this since we last spoke. Um, number three, Villanova lost in overtime to Virginia Tech. Number four, Virginia lost to the University of San Francisco. Now that that was a big one. That like a shocker. The biggest upset of the young college basketball season and the program's biggest win in decades, the San Francisco Dons. Their last win against a top 5 team was December 29th, 1981, when they beat number 2 Wichita State. So, I right, go ahead, go ahead San Fran. San Fran trying to make some noise. Otherwise, our other upset, other big upset from this week was number 10, Kentucky, being upset by the Richmond Spiders. Richmond is a very good team. They play in the Atlantic Atlantic 10 division, or excuse me, conference, not division. They're a very good team, and they're a team that you got to watch out for. You can't just waltz on in and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to beat them. No, no, no. They are actually a pretty good team. They're well coached, and they listen to their coach. They they're, They buy into the system. They're really serious about Hey, you're not going to just come in here and do whatever you want. And they're, um, after that win, Richmond is now ranked 19th. Uh, I'll go ahead and go over the rankings for college basketball after those upset victories and losses. At the top, we got the same two. Gonzaga at number one, Baylor at two, followed by Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois at number five after a very, very good week there, 3-0. Um, number six is Duke. Number seven is Kansas. They are they fell. They're actually one and one. So they're now, uh, they fell down a spot. Followed by Michigan State at number eight. They had a very large jump. Uh, followed by Crittenton, the University of Houston, West Virginia at 11. Villanova falls to 12. 
followed by Tennessee, who has not played a game this year. At 14, we have uh, the University of North Carolina. At 15, we have Virginia. Virginia actually had the biggest drop out of everyone in the top 25. They went from number four to number 15, followed by in-state rival Virginia Tech at number 16. Virginia Tech had the largest rise this week, going from technically 26th unranked to 16 followed by Texas Tech and Texas, who are tied at 17. Richmond, as I said, they are at 19 after beating number 20, Kentucky. They're now 20 after their loss, followed by Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Arizona State falls to number 25. And there's plenty of, plenty, plenty more good to go to go around. We have um, top-ranked High school player Zaire Williams in a heated battle right now as we speak against number 14, North Carolina. Um, We have plenty of good games coming. We have number eight, Michigan State, going against number six, Duke, today. We have number seven, Kansas, taking on number 20, Kentucky. And this is what I love about college basketball. As opposed to college football, where you have a lot of the best teams who stay in-house, especially this year with coronavirus, who stay in-house and they play against their conference, there's just not going to be a lot of talent to go against. Like, Alabama every year is just beating up on the same teams, and they get two real tests because they're still in the SEC. So... And this is what I'm, ta- I'm talking about for football. Um, they still have at least two challenging teams where because like the SEC is just a, a full of talent. They're full of NFL-ready prospects. So they still play against two teams usually every year that kind of give them a little bit of trouble, that could give them trouble, and half the time they still just wash them. They still just beat the hell out of them. But in college basketball, you have tournaments. You have to, like, you can't even avoid it. You have to see, like, very good teams all the time. Every year, you have to see very good teams. It's not there's something you really do about it. Like you're you're going to have to see them. There's tournaments, and it's not like you're not going to lose a game on purpose to some whack team. So you're going to beat the team that you're supposed to beat, and they're going to be the team that they're supposed to beat, and then you guys meet up in the finals. And it's a constant turnover of like, okay, well this team was ranked higher than this team, but then the lower ranked team won, so now they're ranked higher than them. And then they lost to this other team that's higher ranked than them. But then that team lost to the team that that they that the that lost in the first place. So it's like it's a lot easier. It's a lot. It's a little easier. Now I would say it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to t- determine who's better than who and like to be able to, able to place teams where they're supposed to go because hey, you beat them. You beat them. You lost to them, but you also beat them. And that's like, you can see, like, why teams lost. And if someone gets hurt, it's like, okay, well, that makes a difference. Same thing goes for for football, but those teams don't see each other as much. Like, you don't actually play. The top teams don't sit there and play against each other all year. In basketball, you have a lot of top 10, top 5 matchups between very, very good teams that... I mean, it, it helps for seeding because in basketball, there's a big tournament. They have to decide seeding to see who should be a one, who should be a two, who should be a three. And head-to-head matchups definitely help that uh, mightily. Um, but let's go ahead and keep it pushing from college basketball to college football. There were, hey, this is actually a really, really good week for college football. I got, I got a couple of things to talk about this week. This is a pretty pretty good week for college football let's go ahead and get into it uh first off a little bit of disappointing news the sun bowl 
is canceled for the first time since 1935. They're actually the ninth bowl game to be canceled this year. Um, this is the first time it's ever been canceled, actually. The Sun Bowl has been going every year since its inception in 1935, but it's been canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. Those other bowl games that have been canceled because of COVID include the Bahamas, the Celebration, the Fenway, the Hawaii, the Holiday, the Motor City, the Pinstripe, and the Red Box Bowls. Um, the Sun Bowl, the Sun Bowl pits teams from the ACC against teams from the Pac-12. Um, otherwise, big, big news, huge news for college football, for sports in general. Um, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, excuse me, got a new kicker this week. The first woman to ever play in a Power 5 conference football game, Sarah Fuller. Sarah Fuller was actually a backup on Vanderbilt's soccer team. She became the starting goalie, won a national championship, and now, what, probably a month later? Uh, within, within two months, this all happened. She went from backup to starter to champion to now being the first ever woman to play in a Power 5 conference football game. Now, I will not sugarcoat this for you. She didn't do anything. She did the kickoff in the second half and they had to hold it for. Her. I'm not sure if they I'm not sure if it was wind or if it was the tee though they were struggling with. I'm not sure why someone had to hold it, but someone had to hold the kick for her. The kick wasn't very good. She didn't go for a tackle. She just walked straight off the field and uh Vandy lost 41 to 0. So she didn't even get to try and kick a field goal. However, she does get to come back next week. They are bringing her back. She'll be the kicker next week for uh for Vandy and there's this idiot on social media, Jason Whitlock. He's an idiot. I don't care what anybody says. He's an idiot. He's a clown. And he tries so hard to sound so smart, but he fails every single time. He was going in. He had a, he had a real beef with this. He said there weren't any of the men's soccer players they could have called. Um, and things of that nature. Um, he's an idiot. Did I mention that? He's absolutely stupid. Don't listen to anything he has to say because he's a, he's a clown. He's actually a clown. And I hate that he, I even talk about him on my show. Um... But as I said, they lost 41 to zero. So it's not like Vanderbilt was making this. They were, it's not like they were doing this to try and win games. They weren't making this decision to try and like make their team better. Their team sucks. They've sucked all year. They've been getting destroyed by different teams all year. They have an interim coach. As we speak, they don't even have their head coach they started the year out with because he got fired. Like, obviously, they didn't make the decision to better their team. They made the decision because it's breaking a barrier. It's 20 freaking 20. Women can play football. Who cares? Like, and she's a grown woman. Like, she's in college. She's a grown ass woman. She's molding herself into a grown ass woman. If she cannot understand the physical, if she can't understand either her physical limitations or understand the physical toll that football takes on anybody's body, then she don't belong out there. But I'm pretty sure she got that. I'm pretty sure she's like very aware, like I am a kicker on a football field. I like, they can't not hit me. Like they wouldn't just avoid hitting me. Like, no, it, it's a part of the game. If it came down to it and she had to make a tackle, she got to make the tackle. 
If it came down to it and someone got a blocker, they got a blocker. Like, it's whatever. She's a grown-ass woman. There's no reason why she shouldn't be out there. There's no reason. If she wants to be out there, then she can go. Vanderbilt freaking sucks. They put up zero points. They didn't score at all. They didn't have a chance to score. In that game, they got onto the other side of the field two times. One of those, I think it was three, actually. Three times. One was a fumble. One was the end of the quarter, I believe. And the other one, I don't even remember what happened. But they just suck. Like, I don't even I don't even know the specifics for why they never even kicked a field goal. But I can tell you exactly why they didn't kick a field goal. Because they stink. And they were down 41-0. to zero. Her kicking one field goal was not going to save that team in any way. They're 0-8. They have not gotten a single win all year. So, Jason Whitlock, shut your fat mouth, you idiot, and stop complaining about stuff that's complaining. She's a better kicker than you are. You couldn't go out there and be a kicker for anybody. You couldn't even go out there and be an offensive lineman for anyone. You couldn't be a long snapper. You could not, you couldn't spend a single minute on a football field. But he has the audacity to sit in the office and say, oh, why is she out there? Oh, we should get one of the men's soccer players. Guess what? The men's team didn't win the national championship. The women's team won a national championship, and she's a part of that team. So, yes, if I'm a part of the school, I don't want one of the loser men to get to come in onto my football team because the men already suck on my football team. I need a winner. I would like a winner. I would like some winning, some winning culture in here, someone who knows what winning feels like. So you got a national championship, a national champion. Like, what a dumb thing to say. What a dumb thing to say in response to literal history being made. Jason Whitlock, I hope you hear this podcast because you're an idiot. I, I, man, and I would love for someone to tell me, oh, what if he doesn't want to give you a job? I don't want a job from Jason Whitlock. He's an idiot. I would never want to work for him, around him, beside him. I'd barely want to work for the same company as him. I would. I would. I would. Fox, call me. Fox. Fox. Fox Sports, call me. But... Whitlock's an idiot. I'm, I, I tell him straight to his face. I have no problem with that. It's history. It's literal history. What is the beef? What is the problem? <laughs> anyway, speaking of history, Buffalo Bulls running back Jarrett Patterson had a record day running the ball for the Buffalo Bulls. He ran for 409 yards and eight. Yes, yes, you heard that correctly. Eight touchdowns. In the in Buffalo's seventy to forty one win. Now, it's a record, tied for the most rushing touchdowns in a game ever. But let's just break it down a little further. At halftime, at halftime, Jarrett Patterson had two hundred and sixty five. I'm sorry, two hundred and sixty seven yards and five touchdowns. Mind you, that was on eighteen carries. For an average of 14.8 yards per carry. That's nuts, dog. That is nuts. That is absolutely nuts. To, to sprinkle on a little bit more, his backup had 97 yards and two touchdowns. Like, what? His twin brother plays for the team as well. His twin brother led the game in tackles with 13. Jarrett came into this game with 511 yards and eight touchdowns. He ran for 409 yards and eight touchdowns. He damn near doubled up his season totals in one game. Now, if you want to go a little further, 
Last week, Jared ran for 301 yards and four touchdowns. So that's two straight weeks, actually. That's two straight weeks that Jared damn near doubled himself up. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, this man had 210 yards and four touchdowns. 210. Listen, listen to me. 210 yards for four touchdowns. In two weeks, this man has 710 yards and 12 touchdowns. Unreal. Unheard of. What the what? <laughs> the kid is a monster. Like, you can definitely expect me hearing his name in the draft next year because this kid is running his ass off. Now let's go ahead and get into some football. Um, number one, Alabama taking on number 22, Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Bama just dominated this game on both sides. And Auburn did just about everything wrong in this game. Mac Jones continues a Heisman caliber season, throwing for 305 yards and five touchdowns. No picks. The defense for Alabama forced two interceptions while getting uh, four sacks. And Coach Saban was sitting at home. Uh, Coach Nick Saban actually tested positive for coronavirus earlier this week, so he was not able to attend the game. Um, the real star of the show, the real, real star of the show, though, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith finished this game with seven catches for 171 yards and two touchdowns. Devontae reaches a thousand yards on the season in this one and continues the record he set last week. Last week, he set the record for all-time touchdowns for a wide receiver. After the two touchdowns this week, the new record is up to 35 with more games to go this season. The kid's a monster. Guaranteed first-round pick. Guaranteed first-round pick next year. Next up, another ranked battle. We have number two, number two, number two Notre Dame taking on number 19, uh, North Carolina. This is a great game for the Fighting Irish as they played amazing on both sides of the ball versus a very solid UNC team. The defense for the Fighting Irish played a really good game versus an explosive North Carolina offense holding them to just 298 yards. That sounds like a lot, but it's the second worst total under Mac Brown since he took over as coach for the Tar Heels. It is also the first time in the 22 games since Mac Brown has been coaching the Tar Heels that they lost by more than one touchdown. The offense for Notre Dame would not be denied as quarterback Ian, Ian Book was a wizard dodging pressure, finishing with 279 yards and one touchdown. Running back Kyron Williams ran all over uh, the Tar Heels, running for 124 yards and scoring three times. Number three, Clemson was taking on Pitt, and they blew them boys out. The first game, the first game for Clemson since their um, overtime loss to Notre Dame on the seventh of November, damn near a month of no college football for uh, Clemson, and the game went just as went as expected. The Clemson Tigers turned three early interceptions into touchdowns, effectively ending this one early. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence hadn't played since October 27th, I'm sorry, October 24th, and he seemed very fresh, getting 302 yards passing in the first half, finishing with 403 yards and two touchdowns. Now that boy, that boy is a Heisman hopeful. Next up, we have number five, Texas A&M taking on LSU. The Aggies defense was on clamp mode in this game. 
they held LSU to 1.4 yards per carry. Nine quarterback rushes, two sacks, and a pick six in this game. The passing game struggled big, big time for Texas A&M, but Isaiah Spiller continues a great season for the Aggies. Last year, Texas A&M lost to LSU 50-7. to So this year, winning 20-7 to is a definitely a step in the right direction. Next up, we have number six, Florida. The Florida Gators taking on the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky actually played a great first half, holding the Gators to only seven points with a minute to go in the fourth, or I'm sorry, in the second quarter. Kentucky would punt, would punt from their own end zone, and Florida would run a split punt return. I've actually never seen one of these before. It tricked even me. But they tricked Kentucky by making them think that Marco Davis, who was lined up on the right side, was getting the ball. However, the ball was on the left side with superstar Kandarius Tony. He got on the left side and returned it for a touchdown to give Florida the lead going into halftime. From there, the Gators went. Uh, the Gators got back on track with Heisman hopefuls Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts connecting for three touchdowns after Pitts missed two games with a concussion. Pitts finished the game with uh, five catches total for 99 yards and the three touchdowns. Kyle Trask becomes Kyle Trask becomes the th- only the third. I'm sorry, only the second SEC player to ever have three passing touchdowns in eight straight games. Next up, we have number eight Northwestern taking on Mississippi State. This would be an upset. Both of Michigan State's wins this season have been upsets over top 13 competition. The Spartans scored the first 17 points in this one, but Northwestern would tie the game at 20 in the fourth quarter. After that, they could get nothing, literally nothing going. Northwestern takes their first loss after only gaining 63 yards on the ground. They've been averaging 200 rushing yards all year. Through the five games they've played this year, they've been averaging 200 rushing yards. Only got 63 in this game. Uh, Michigan State, however, finished with 195 rushing yards, and they definitely used their legs to get this upset victory. Next up, we have number nine, Georgia, taking on South Carolina. I barely got anything even written down for this game because Georgia dismantled those boys. Georgia picks up the victory in this one. Um, 45-16. to 16. Beat the brakes off those boys. A balanced effort for sure, but it also comes with some bad news as um, backup quarterback, uh, their backup quarterback, Mathis, he's decided that he is going to transfer. Um, the Georgia Bulldogs gained 332 yards on the ground in this game, run literally running all over these boys. Um, next up on all these lovely college football games, we have some bad news actually. Number twelve, Indiana taking on Maryland. Indiana gets the room gets the win, but it comes with some bad news as quarterback My- Michael Penix Jr. tears his ACL and is out for the season. The defense stepped up big, however, not giving up a touchdown until the last two minutes of the game and getting three picks off of Baby Tungavailawa. 
and only 59 yards on the ground for Maryland. Excuse me. Next up, we have another ranked battle. Number 13, Iowa State taking on number 17, Texas. Excuse me. Iowa State holds on to first place in the Big 12 after a huge come-from-behind win over Texas. Quarterback Brock Purdy outplayed Sam Ellinger in a very competitive game that might have decided the Big 12. The Iowa State Cyclones only have one more game this year, which should secure their spot in the Big 12 championship game. The Longhorns, the Longhorns honestly gave this game away after leading for most of it and getting stopped over and over in the second half. Like, literally stop after stop, which, I mean, good on um, Iowa State's defense, but Texas got to get out of their own way. Next up, we have number 15, Oregon taking on Oregon State. With Oregon's loss in this one and the cancellations slash struggles for USC, the Pac-12 is all but out of the playoff this year. Oregon State pulls off the big, 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 big upset in this rivalry game. Uh, running back Jamar Jefferson erupts, like erupts is the right word, for 226 yards and two touchdowns in this game. That boy was running, running. Quarterback Tristan ooh, Giba? Giba? Might be Giba. Quarterback Tristan Giba, he threw for 209, or I'm sorry, 263 yards and a touchdown in this game. Uh, he definitely was having a ball with two of his wide receivers. Um, Kobe Taylor finishes this game with seven catches for 114 yards, while Brevin Bradford gets eight catches for 93 yards. Um, with their season starting late too, like it was already kind of sketchy, kind of looking like, uh, I don't think that we're going to see a Pac-12 team making the playoff this year, but it, the, the, the schedule so far, it just four games, I'm pretty sure only like about four weeks of Pac-12 and we can definitely say that they're not making the playoff. Um, taking his first college snap after starting quarterback Tristan Giba limped off Chance Nolan actually scored on a one yard fourth down run with 33 seconds left to give Oregon State the victory big big win for Oregon State congratulations to the Beavers in our last game we're going to talk about this week number 23 Oklahoma State taking on Texas Tech the Oklahoma State Cowboys were without running backs uh Chuba, I'm not sure if it's Chuba or Chuba. Chuba Herbert and L.D. Brown, but Desmond Jackson. Desmond Jackson stepped up big time. Jackson only had 135 yards coming into this game, and he ran for 235 yards and three touchdowns. Would have had a fourth, but he slid late to run the clock out. As Oklahoma State, their offense finally comes back to life. Like, this is only their third game this season scoring over 30. One of those games is against Kansas, which is like the worst team in college in, in like Division I football. And the other was a loss to Texas. So they finally score big and actually get a victory. Like an actual like, like, I mean, Texas Tech isn't like a great team either. But 
This team has been putting up low numbers, getting really nothing from their offense for like three, four weeks now. So this is it's finally I've been I thought Oklahoma State was serious this year. I thought they actually had a chance to make some noise to do something, but they definitely showed that they're not doing anything this year. <laughs> Now, let's go ahead and talk about the rankings. I don't think they've put out the the playoff rankings um, for this week, but we'll go ahead and talk about the AP Top 25. The top eight is is normal. The top eight is just like it was last week. Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, Texas A&M, Florida, Cincinnati, and BYU. Same top eight from last week. Everything under that has changed, though. <laughs> All but one team has changed from last, from last week. At number nine, we have not, uh, Miami, followed by Indiana, rounding up the top 10. Um, at 11, we have Georgia, followed by Iowa State, Oklahoma, who they've had a very up-down season. They swing all the way back to, to 13. Um, Coastal Carolina is ranked 14th in their undefeated season, and they have a very big test coming up against Liberty, who is ranked 25 currently. That'll be a very good contest. At uh, 15, we have Marshall, followed by Northwestern, who falls five spots after their loss this week. Um, USC comes in at 17, followed by Wisconsin, which is the only other team besides our top eight that didn't move this week. Then we have Oklahoma State at 19, Louisiana at 20. Oregon is the biggest drop-off out of everyone this week, going from um, nine to falling 12 spots from nine to 21. Um, followed by Tulsa, Washington, who is undefeated, Iowa, and as I mentioned, number 25, Liberty. And that is our news for college football this week. Um, we got the playoffs. The, the playoff is coming. It is right around the week, right around the corner, right around the week, <laughs> right around the corner. It, it, it's going to be it's going to be kind of crazy. Um, there's talks, whispers that coronavirus might have a hindrance on Ohio State. They're currently ranked number four, so they're in the playoff. But you have Texas A&M and Florida, who's been playing all year, and they've been looking really good all year. They've been, they've had some tests. They've they've gone through some tests. They've had their, they each have a loss this year to a very, to a top five team. So, um, depending on cancellations and the, like I said about USC, Depending on cancellations and the way they look for the rest of the season, Ohio State is in a very precarious spot to make the playoff. Um, number five, Texas A&M is actually taking on Auburn this week. So that should be a very, very good game to watch out for. Um, another very good game, as I said, we have Coastal Carolina taking on Liberty. That, that'll that be a very, very good game. I think that could do a lot of very good things for Coastal Carolina, a team trying to prove that they belong in the rankings. They belong... Um, higher and higher so they can get a better bowl, a bowl game. We have number 12, Indiana, taking on number 16, Wisconsin. That game is going to have very big implications for bowl games. And, yeah, that, that's, I mean, LSU is taking on Alabama, but Alabama's been looking absolutely amazing this year, so I'm not not too worried about that one much at all. Now let's get into the NFL. Go ahead and get rid of all these other tabs. You guys should see my computer when I'm doing this. Like, I have so many tabs open, it's ridiculous. <laughs> we are in week 12 of the NFL, and that, of course, comes with some news. The New Orleans Saints have been signed half a million dollars and docked a seventh-round pick for um, not following guidelines for coronavirus. They were seen celebrating a little too close. 
a little too happy. Like y'all can't celebrate like that. You can't have the same celebrations as always. They've been fined for um, not wearing masks during their post-game celebrations after a week nine win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Saints are appealing the punishment and the punishment is so severe because they are considered a repeat offender. Uh, the Raiders repeat previously stripped of a six round pick and fined half a million dollars for repeated violations of the rules. Otherwise, another team that's been fined for coronavirus, the New England Patriots have been fined $350,000. I believe this is their first defense, which is why they aren't getting fined for as much or having a pick taken away. Um, speaking of coronavirus, the San Francisco 49ers will be playing their next two home games in Arizona after Santa Clara County bans contact sports from being played in the county. Um, Coach Kyle Shanahan says he wishes there would have been more of a dialogue, more of a conversation, more of a heads up even to the team that they were not going to be able to play at home because they have two home games in the next uh, couple weeks. But this this new ban, I believe, goes through December. So Kyle Shanahan was was saying he was a little blindsided. He was a little hurt that he couldn't get a bit of a of a heads up that this team that obviously provides entertainment, money, all kinds of things for the county couldn't get a heads up about such a thing. Uh, but yeah, coronavirus continues to take its toll on the NFL season. Um, otherwise, big, 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 huge. Like you know, it, you guys have been listening. If you've been listening to me from the beginning, or even from semi from the beginning, then you know that I love news like this. The Browns have the first female interim position. <laughs> what did I just say? The Browns have the first female interim position coach in the NFL's history news history you know man you guys know I love history you guys know I love these historic things you guys know I love I love all of this like I don't see what the problem is I don't see like why this shouldn't happen more often why this shouldn't have already been happening but the name of their new interim positions coach is Callie Brownson she was actually Cleveland's chief of staff, but due to, I believe, the tight end. This is the tight ends coach. Yes, the tight ends coach did not travel with the team because his wife gave birth to their first child. So congratulations to the tight end coach, um, Drew Petzing, for the Cleveland Browns. But also congratulations to Callie for being, for making history, making history and pushing the needle forward. Um, if you were wondering how qualified she is, she's incredibly qualified, damn it. Um, she was a football player for seven years in her own right for the D.C. Divas. She was the USA Women's National American Football Team two-time, not once, two-time gold medalist. Two gold medals, baby. All these NFL players, where they gold medals at, hmm? Hmm? I think between the entire NFL, there's like one gold medal. Like, between all the players. And then there's, like, one gold medal. She got two. How's that for your qualification? Last year, she was Buff, I uh, believe, the university. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, the, the team, the football team. She was the Buffalo Bills coaching assistant last year. And as I said, she is the chief of staff for the, for the Cleveland Browns this year. So, congratulations. You guys know I love me some history. You know I love pushing the needle forward, whether it's race or gender. I love, I love, I love. But... It's time. Let's go ahead and get into the football for this week. Alrighty. Of course, since last we spoke was Thanksgiving, and we had some Thanksgiving games. 
First up, we have the Houston Texans taking on the Detroit Lions. Uh, Houston take the win, 41-25. to Deshaun Watson is turning up as the season progresses. Deshaun threw for 318 yards and four touchdowns on Thanksgiving, carving up the <laughs> carving up the Lions defense like the Lions defense on Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, Will, Fur- Will Fuller, the fifth, caught six passes for 171 yards and two touchdowns in his best and last game of the season. Fuller and teammate um, cornerback Brandon Roby have been suspended six games each for violating the performance-enhancing drugs policy. Um, someone I was actually just reading about it. They, there was a couple people making a point that the Texans just hired former player Brian Cushing as an assistant to the um, strength and conditioning coach. This is ironic because Brian Cushing, while playing for the Texans, got two suspensions for um, violating the performance-enhancing drugs policy. And in his first year of being hired, two players have been suspended for performance-enhancing drugs. So um, that'll be interesting. That That's really, I mean, hey. But honestly, it's kind of seemed like the Texans are... The Texans are showing their showing who they really are. The Texans are looking like the Charlotte Hornets, looking like the New York Knicks, looking like just absolute crap. Like they just can't get out of their own way. They can't get right. They have good talent and they don't do anything with it. JJ Watt, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Andre Johnson. They've had talented players. They just aren't doing anything to make the they're not doing anything with them. They're not making decisions. They're not making correct decisions at all. Um and a week after his career high in, plast- in pass deflections, J.J. Watt actually got a pick six in this one, looking like the J.J. Watt that tore through offensive lines for years. Um, head coach Matt Patricia and GM for Detroit, um, Bob Quinn, have been relieved of their duties. Each of them have been fired. I don't know what took so long, but hey, it is what it is. Next up. We have the Washington football team taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Washington will get the win, 41-16. Ezekiel Elliott had five fumbles in his first four seasons in the NFL. He's now tied for the league lead with five fumbles this year. I truly believe that Washington has the best defense in the NFC East, which, I mean, it is, I know it isn't exactly saying that much, but their defense is actually quite stout. They have, like, five, six first-round picks on their defensive line, so it, it them boys be turning up. Um, they forced the fumble on Zeke. They got a pick six in this game and made stop after stop as they just dominated the Cowboys in this game. Rookie running back uh, Antonio Brown continues a very productive first season with 115 yards and three touchdowns on the ground in this game. Washington is now tied for the lead in the NFC East. Um, a very interesting um, stat that I saw while watching this game in the last 15 seasons the NFC East has had someone win a someone different win every year since 2005 there's there's not been a single repeat winner in 05 the Giants won then the Eagles won then the Cowboys won then the Giants won then the Cowboys won then the Eagles won then the Giants won then Washington then Philly again Dallas, Washington, Dallas, Philly, Dallas, Philly. So the last four years, it's been all uh, Dallas and Philly. But overall, 
no one can just win two straight. Uh, there's been plenty, plenty of people winning two in three years, four years, but no one can win two straight. So with that holding true, it's looking like Philly is not going to win the division this year. And um, we got we got some we got some other guys at the top. So we'll see. Speaking of the NFC East, we have the New York Giants taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. The Giants will get the win 19 to 17. Daniel Jones would actually leave this game with a strained hamstring and Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy of all people would replace him. Like, dude, can we, <sighs> Colt McCoy sells a job. Colt McCoy has a job as a backup, just chilling, just waiting for his turn, waiting to like, what? Colt McCoy sells a job. Like I'm at this point, I really am tired of complaining about cap and like him not having a job. Cause I know that he, he deserves a start. He should be a starting level quarterback, but all these dudes who are even have jobs still as backups, like, Ew, Cole McCoy. Ew. But hey, he didn't do it. He didn't. He the Giants held on to win in this one to get a share of the NFC East lead. The Bengals got the longest kickoff return in franchise history in this one from uh, Brandon Wilson. And the Bengals will need all the points they can get as they try to continue their season without Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow. Um, This was a very ugly game between two teams riddled with injuries and youth, resulting in 10 punts and four turnovers in this one. The Giants' defense steps up once again, forcing a fumble off of a sack on the last drive to seal the game for the Giants. Next up, we have an absolute massacre. The Las Vegas Vegas Raiders came down to Atlanta and got destroyed by with the Falcons taking the win 43-6. to The Raiders were shooting themselves early, shooting themselves in the foot early in this game, and it just really wouldn't get any better. Derek Carr threw a pick six. Josh Jacobs could only muster up 27 points or 27 yards before leaving with an ankle injury. And Atlanta got to the quarterback five times in their best game of the year so far. Uh, the Tennessee Titans took on the Indianapolis Colts this week. The Titans getting the win 45 to 26. It is a return of the Titans as they look like a totally team, a totally different team than two weeks ago when they played the Colts. The Titans put up 35 points in the first half and never looked back in this one. King Derrick Henry went off for 178 yards, three touchdowns. Wide receiver AJ Brown had four catches for 98 yards and a touchdown but that wasn't it he also had a kickoff return for a touchdown on an onside kick honestly the titans got everything to go their way and now they have the sole lead of the afc south with a fairly easy schedule for the rest of the way they play the browns which the browns haven't been a pushover they play the browns they play in jacksonville against the jaguars they play at home versus the lions and they play in Lambeau against the Packers and in Houston against the the Texans. The Colts now have to kind of play some perfect football down the stretch as they have to try and catch up to the Titans. They have a tie. There's going to be a tie between them. They are one and one facing against each other. So it's going to come down to record. Um, The Colts have Houston twice on their schedule. So that's good. They have the Jaguars. But they also have the Raiders in Vegas, and they have the Steelers as well. So 
they got to play some some pretty good football if they want to win that division. Speaking of the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars took on the Cleveland Browns with the Browns getting the win 27 to 25. The Browns survived a, a late rally by the Jaguars to move to 8 and 3 after this win. The defense didn't get a sack as they definitely missed Miles Garrett in this one, but the offense provided plenty for the Browns to be excited to be, for the Browns to be excited about. Jarvis Landry went crazy in this game for eight catches, 143 yards, and a touchdown, while the Browns got ugh, 206 yards from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Chubb getting the majority with 144 of those yards. This is one of the better games all year from the Jaguars, but they still leave points on the board and give away a very close game. Funny story on uh, the quarterback situation here in Jacksonville. Jake Ludden, who's been starting the past three games for the Jaguars, was actually benched for Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon got benched in 2017 for Chicago's Mitch Trubisky, who actually started this week. Um, Trubisky got benched earlier this year for Nick Foles, who got benched last year for Garner Minshew, who got replaced this year by Ludden, who was now benched, as I said, by Mike Glennon. A whole carousel of garbage quarterbacks, except for Nick Foles. He has a championship, but he's pretty poop most of the time, too. Oh, yeah. By the way, the Jaguars fire their GM, Dave Caldwell, after the game because look at their quarterback situation. He should be fired. Um, Moving forward, the Miami Dolphins went to New York to take on the Jets. The Dolphins taking a very comfortable win, 20-3. The Dolphins have gotten a takeaway in 17 straight games, which is the longest active streak in the NFL. The Jets would score on a field goal on their first drive, and that would be the end of their scoring for the day, as the Dolphins once again used their defense and a balanced effort from their offense to take the W. Ryan Fitzpatrick goes for 257 yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions, despite being sacked four times, and the Dolphins rush for 104 yards on the ground. Devontae Parker, another Alabama standout wide receiver, had a very good game going for eight catches and 119 yards. Xavier, which actually earlier this year I called him Xavier Howard. Excuse me, Xavier. I, I, I sincerely apologize. I did not see that. Xavier Taylor got another interception in this game to take the solo lead for most interceptions this season as the Dolphins remain just one game out of the a- AFC East lead. Now, the leaders in the AFC East handled business this week as the Buffalo Bills beat the Chargers at home. Um, It was a sloppy win for the Bills, but they'll take it as they get a bit of trickery from the offense. Wide receiver Cole Beasley threw a 20-yard touchdown in this game to give the Bills a 14-6 lead in the second quarter. Um... Rookie quarterback Justin Herbert and the offense enjoyed the return of running back Austin Eckler as Herbert once again throws for 300 plus yards and Eckler gains a total of 129 yards while making 11 catches in this one. Next up, we have the Arizona Cardinals going to New England to take on the Patriots. The Patriots taking the win 20-17. The Patriots pull out a very ugly but much needed win as they haven't woken up from their playoff dreams just yet. Super Cam Newton says after the game that he will not apologize for a win, but he acknowledges his poor play. This is a classic Patriots game with the run game and the defense making big plays to hold on for this comeback victory. 
It was almost, almost a classic Patriots win with a punt return for a touchdown in the third quarter, but that was actually called back after a penalty. For the second straight week, the Cardinals offense doesn't look like what we've seen from them all year. They came into this one averaging 414 yards, but only gained 298 yards on Sunday. This was the first game of the season that Kyler Murray didn't get a passing touchdown. And kicker Zane Gonzalez missed the go-ahead field goal with less than two minutes to go, which would be the deciding factor as the Patriots did win with a field goal in the last two minutes. Next up, we have a pretty what it wasn't it was actually a pretty entertaining game between um two pretty bad teams the carolina panthers took on the minnesota vikings with the vikings getting the one point victory 28 to 27 no one really wanted to win this game except for jeremy chin the first player to ever score two touchdowns on back-to-back defensive plays now jeremy chin's a rookie second round draft choice out of let me uh, let me double check the college out of ooh I don't even know where that what that is SIU see that's an acronym colleges are like there's too many colleges and they could mean too many things like the the abbreviations that they use are very confusing they could be like Southern Iowa Southern I- Idaho like it could be a lot of things but Jeremy Chin is a he was a second round pick in last year's draft ranked number twenty one because you know number twenty one is a great number. He got two fumble recoveries for a touchdown in the same game. That is a first in Panthers history, in Panthers franchise history. I'm pretty sure that's not the first time we've had someone get two fumble recovery touchdowns in the same game in NFL history, but that's the first time we've ever had that in back-to-back plays. Like, it was crazy. To, I was watching Red Zone, of course. I watched Red Zone, and they just play all the games um, over and over again. They kind of just show you what's been going on, what's been happening. They show you all the scoring plays. And they just show this guy literally back-to-back, two straight plays, fumble, picks it up, and runs the other way for a touchdown. Um, but it seemed like he was the only person who really wanted to win this game. The Panthers and the Vikings went back and forth trying to give this game away until the clock finally hit zero. The Panthers were up 21 to, to 10, or if you want to flip it around, they were winning 10 to 21, <laughs> trying to add three more when the Vikings blocked the field goal and retained the ball. After the block, the Vikings went on an 18 to 6 run despite a muffed punt from uh, wide receiver Chad Beebe. BB would actually turn into the hero in this one, catching the game-winning touchdown from Minnesota with 46 seconds left. Carolina had a chance to take the win at the buzzer, but kicker Joey Sly, a great kicker, a very hard-kicking kicker, he can kick from 60. He was, before one of the games, kicking, kicking from 70 and hitting it. But in this one, he missed the 54-yarder after having a kick blocked earlier in the game and actually hitting a 56-yarder last week. Minnesota hold on to take the win. Um, there was a, a, a huge, a huge scare for uh, Minnesota as um, Dalvin Cook actually went down with an injury at one point in this game. Um, the Minnesota is, is doing all the right things at the right time. They are literally turning up at the right time. They had a very good game from Kirk Cousins. He had uh, 307 yards through the air and three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook only has 61 uh, yards in this game. As I mentioned, he had um, the ankle injury and he lost a fumble. There were three lost fumbles. So like I said, Minnesota was trying to give this game away. They didn't want to win. They didn't want it. 
But with seven catches and 70 yards for two touchdowns in this game, uh, Justin Jefferson increases his his totals to very, very good numbers, especially when you put him next to a certain other Minnesota Viking rookie wide receiver. Now, if you compare their rookie seasons through 11 games, Randy Moss had 44 catches for 851 yards and eight touchdowns. Justin Jefferson has 47 catches for 866 yards, but only five touchdowns. Now, you know what I say. Numbers are just numbers. You know, the kid got to continue. If you want to put him on the pedestal of Randy Moss, you're setting him up for failure because Randy Moss is an absolute monster. Let the kid be his own man. These are very good numbers. It's very, very nice to look at, like to compare, like through 11 games, the kid is looking sick. He's looking absolutely amazing, but do not set him up for failure because that boy, that boy, Randy Moss, he's different. He is different. Um, but I love just, I love Jefferson. Justin Jefferson's really good. I, I really worry about Kirk Cousins more than I worry about Jefferson. Like it's about, he's a wide receiver. He has to get the ball to him. So Definitely something to watch out for because that that kid is really good. Justin Jefferson is very, very good. But Randy Moss, you put him in very good company. Next up, uh, NFC North battle. We have the Chicago Bears taking on the Green Bay Packers. The Packers taking the win 41 to 25. Aaron Rodgers is aging like fine wine on that football field, man. Rodgers. Goes for 211 yards and four touchdowns in this one as he surpasses 50,000 passing yards in his career. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams combined for 163 yards in an easy win for the pack. Mitch Trubisky got the start for the Bears and looked like himself under center, honestly. He threw for 242 yards and three touchdowns. That's like... That's like when you look like, oh, that's why he got picked before Deshaun Watson. That's why he got, or no, excuse me. That's why he got picked before Patrick Mahomes. Like, oh, Mitch Trubisky can be a good quarterback sometimes. Yeah, no. 242 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and three fumbles. Luckily for him, only one of those fumbles was lost, but it was returned for a touchdown. 143 total yards from running back David Montgomery in this one. And the Bears have lost five straight and are now tied in the division with the Vikings. The Vikings started this season 1-5. The Bears started this season 5-1. Safe to say, these teams are trending in different directions. Now, next up, we have the New Orleans Saints taking on the Denver Broncos in Denver. The Saints went to Denver and went crazy, getting the win 31-3. Now, this is a very... You know, I wouldn't really have a lot to say about a game that goes 31 to 3. But this one, this one's a little different. The Broncos had no quarterbacks this week after all of their quarterbacks were deemed high risk, close contacts. um, Once backup Jeff Driscoll tested positive for coronavirus. Denver was was forced to use Kendall Hinton at quarterback. Now, they tried a lot of things. They called the NFL league office and they tried to get somebody from their coaching staff to be the quarterback this week. The NFL said no. (laughs) And there wasn't enough time for them to sign someone and have them get through the protocols for them to play for the team this week. So Hinton, 
who was a wide receiver on the practice squad before being called up to play quarterback. He played backup quarterback in college. He mainly played wide receiver, but he also played backup quarterback at the University of Central Florida. However, he hadn't played for the Broncos at all this season. It was reported that um, that amongst the Broncos, some of them had never met Kendall beforehand, but he was here to be their quarterback this week. <laughs> it, like, wow. Man, like, talk about how coronavirus has changed sports this week or this year. <laughs> Ugh, my, like, yikes. Fun fact, very fun fact. <laughs> After the first quarter, it was the fewest combined completions, attempts, and passing yards in any first quarter this season. We've had Cam Newton, who hasn't been throwing the ball very, who hasn't been throwing the ball a lot this year. You have a lot of quarter, you have a couple of other teams who just like to run the ball, like the Browns. They like to run the ball all day. But when you have Taysom Hill, who's a running quarterback, and you have a practice squad wide receiver at quarterback it makes sense that you have the fewest combined completions attempts and passing yards of any first quarter this season i thought it was interesting that they said first quarter because that made me wonder if there was a if there was any quarter this year that had fewer of any of those things than this quarter um the saints handled business the saints did what they were supposed to you're going against like literally dude you're you're going against nobody like n- no offense to the kid but you're like who are you really playing against like <laughs> Taysom Hill um only threw the ball 16 times um for 78 yards and uh, threw an interception I don't I, how do you throw an interception against a team with a wide receiver playing quarterback like you got to be smarter than that but the Saints get 229 yards on the ground two touchdowns from Taysom Hill and uh, 124 yards and two touchdowns from Latavius Murray, which I thought was interesting. Latavius, they kind of just let him have at it this week. Um, Kamara only ran the ball 11 times, only got targeted um, twice in the offense. So, you know, I I think the Saints were kind of just kind of holding strong. Just (laughs) they scored 17 in the second quarter. Like it it was never really a contest. After the, after the, once it got to halftime, the game was all but over. Um, but yeah, kind of an interesting game from their offense altogether in that one. Next up, we have the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Tampa Bay, the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, boy, when I tell you this game got got crazy, you know, the score makes this game look a lot closer than it really was because Whew, that boy Patrick Mahomes came out firing in this game. Like, absolutely firing. He came out on fire. I took a screenshot in this game. It was the first quarter. There was a minute and 42 seconds left. I took a screenshot of the stats from the Chiefs so far, who have the ball at this moment, too. Patrick Mahomes was 11 for 14 with 229 yards and two touchdowns with a minute and 40 seconds to go in the first quarter. Tyreek Hill already had caught all of his targets, seven catches for 203 yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. Like what? This kid was, I can't even say this man was going 
mind-numbingly crazy. He lost his mind. They were carving up that defense start of the game. Like, whoo. Patrick Mahomes had 300 passing yards. 300 passing yards with nine minutes to go in the second quarter. Then fumbles the next play. <laughs> the first red zone turnover in 17 games for the Chiefs. The Bucks would take the turnover and get their first score of the game. This game seemed to be going Kansas City's way, but the Bucks didn't give up, making it close and come down to the final minutes. After a field goal by Tampa and another touchdown between Hill and Mahomes, the score was 27-10. Brady would throw an interception on the next two drives for the Bucks, but Kansas City would punt after both of them, leaving the score still 27-10 after two turnovers by Brady. Brady and the Bucks wouldn't just couldn't sit back any longer, and they would score two straight touchdowns on their next two possessions to make the score 27 to 24. Unfortunately for them, the Chiefs would get a couple more first downs and hold on to take the win and stay undefeated on the road this season. As I said, Patrick Mahomes just oh my god, they just whew, them boys was just beating the they, they went absolutely insane. Mahomes had his fifth career 400-yard game, matching the total of all other Chiefs quarterbacks in the franchise's 61-season history. The ki- in three years, in three years, he's better than every quarterback to ever be, like every quarterback ever, forget Kansas City. Excuse me. Three seasons. It took him three years to be better than everyone in franchise history. Mahomes, who finished the game with 452 yards, had 359 at halftime. The most for opening half in any NFL game in the past 20 years. Tyreek Hill had more than half of Mahomes' yards. He did before the Seattle game. He led the NFL with 1,021 yards and 13 touchdowns. If you didn't, if you didn't get that, 1021 is his yards, so you know how to talk about that. That man, Tyreek Hill, has been going crazy. But DK DK Metcalf is now actually in the lead um, for receiving yards. On the other side, Tom Brady, overall, he, he got some numbers. He had uh, 345 yards for three touchdowns. But as I said, those two interceptions, which proved to be very costly. Tyreek Hill finished with 13 catches for 230. 69 yards and three touchdowns. Travis Kelsey got added um, eight catches and 82 yards. Gronk was not to be outdone. He had six catches for 106 yards. Chris Godwin came through with eight catches and 97 yards. And Mike Evans got three catches for 50 yards with two touchdowns in his own right. But it would not be enough. The Chiefs hold on and they continue what has been a very 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 good for year for them so far Whew, i cannot get over these numbers it's video game numbers these are literally video game numbers like wow literally wow next up we have the nfc west showdown between the 49ers and the los angeles rams the nfc west is known for their high-powered offenses but the defenses in the west are pretty destructive in their own right and they showed that in the first half of this one The defenses for each team combined for seven turnovers, and each of them got a touchdown. Aaron Donald got his first sack in three weeks to take the the league lead, while teammate Troy Hill returned a fumble for a touchdown. 
Jared Goff had an awful game, throwing for less than 200 yards and giving, giving the ball away three times. The Niners take the win at the buzzer with a field goal to give the Rams their first loss in SoFi Stadium. That new beautiful stadium, and they finally lost in it. Oh, no. Not to mention the Niners making the division a little more interesting. Debo Samuel had a very, very good game, going for 11 catches and 133 yards. Have yourself a day, young man. And last but surely not least, Monday Night Football, we had the Seattle Seahawks taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Wentz came into this game with uh, a, a pretty ugly streak going. He had been sacked at least three times in the last eight straight games, and that streak would continue in this one as he was sacked six times. To my surprise, at least, the score was 0-0 zero to zero after the first quarter with the uh, Eagles' defense, mainly uh, Derek Burnett, getting two huge stops on fourth down on Seattle. The Eagles would start the second quarter with Jalen Hurts, um, um, playing his first snap without Carson Wentz on the field. He's played multiple snaps this year, but this was his first snap all year that he had played without Carson Wentz being on the field. Um, he gets Alshon Jeffrey his first catch of the year. I know Jeffrey's been hurt, but his first catch of the year? Wow. And in very Eagles fashion, Wentz comes back in on the next play. He gets sacked, and the Eagles punt. Uh, finally, the Seahawks got tired of the goose eggs, and they put up touchdowns on back-to-back drives to give them a 14-6 lead. The Eagles finally responded with a touchdown on their own before the half, but um, kicker Jake Elliott missed the extra point to make the score 14-6. The offense for the Seattle could only put up, could only provide three field goals in the second half, but that would be enough as the Eagles' second-half drives went as such. They got a field goal, they had two turnovers on downs, an interception, and a touchdown on a Hail Mary in the last two minutes. Seattle breaks even now, being 3-3 three and three on the road, while the Eagles have, a, have to once again figure out what they're going to do to improve. This game was a DK Metcalf revenge game, as he goes for... 10 catches for 177 yards against the team that had three chances to pick him in the draft last year. One of those picks was actually a wide receiver, J.J. Whiteside. I'm so sorry, J.J., that you're going to forever be linked to D.K. Metcalf for the rest of your, of your career because that's just not fair to you. Whiteside, who's currently on the um, COVID-19 list, he has 12 catches for 214 yards and a touchdown total. In his career. He got drafted last year. So I'm not trying to say he's a bust. He's he's so bad. But 12 catches for 214 yards and a touchdown. In a year and a half of play. While DK, who got picked after him, got 10 catches for 177 yards in this one game. It was talked about multiple times in this game. But Philly has got to make a change at general manager. Because... They have picks. They've had draft picks. But since 2013, the Eagles have had one pro bowler. And that was Carson Wentz. So, you at this point, I'm not blaming Wentz for anything. I can't blame Wentz for anything. He's getting destroyed by his offensive line every single week. He has no one to throw to. His wide receivers all are hurt. And then to top it all, to the icing, literally the icing on top is that they can't draft. Their draft is awful. 
Their drafting is all. How did you pick a wide receiver before DK Metcalf and it not even be a good one? No offense to JJ Whiteside, but DK, you let, like, just look at him. He's physically imposing. He looks like he's, put him at tight end, even. Just, he's, he looks like he's supposed to be good. And they just let him slide for J.J. Whiteside. And it, it, it fits. They've been having a lot of picks that just really aren't hitting. They also picked Jalen uh, Rager in the first round this year. And I'm not... I, he's good. I think he's, he's going to be solid, but... They, they've had some bad picks. They've, they, they picked Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders was one of those three picks as well instead of DK, which that's a very good pick. He's really good. They picked an offensive lineman as well. I don't really know much about him, but one huge problem they have is they have no one to throw the ball to. They have two really good tight ends who it's easy to cover because they're tight ends. They usually play next to the line of scrimmage. They play next to the, the offensive linemen, so linebackers can push them. They can zone them up pretty well. But the, 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 it's, it's literally, it starts at the top. The front office for the Eagles has to be better. And they have to make better decisions now. Because it's been looking really ugly and it's not fair to Carson Wentz. Um, DK just became the fastest receiver in Seattle history to reach 1,000 yards in a season. Um, this game tops his best this is DK I'm still talking about. This game tops his best game from last year, which was also against the Eagles, but it was in the playoffs where he set an NFL postseason record for receiving yards. Also a playoff record for any Seattle receiver, rookie or not. DK is different, and the Eagles are awful. Just terrible. Makes no sense at all. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. Russell Wilson keeps on just killing it in primetime. He has the best um, record in primetime. Um, primetime games are, are 7 Eastern and after. But he has another good game in this one. Um, no turnovers. No turnovers this week or last week after having 10 turnovers between, I believe it was week 4 and week 7. Uh, the worst 10-game stretch of his career. And... Um, the, the game that we haven't had yet, it was supposed to be on Thanksgiving, then it was supposed to be Sunday, then it was supposed to be Monday, then it was supposed to be tonight, and now it's been pushed back again till tomorrow. The Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The outbreak in Baltimore continues as they just get positive test after positive test. I believe they had like eight straight days of positive testing. And the Steelers were very frustrated. And I I can very much understand why. The Steelers had their bye week changed for another team earlier this year. Because other teams were having outbreaks. They changed the Steelers bye week when they were supposed to have a week off. And now they don't even get their primetime Thanksgiving game because of the Ravens. So it's really unfair to them. And I I would love to see what Goodell's going to do about this because he said that there's was going to be discipline. There would be discipline if if it affected the con if it, if games had to be canceled or if there would be too much of a scheduling conflict. I don't know. I feel as though this falls under that category still. If we have we've changed this game four times, we have postponed this game four times for your team for just your team. Well, not just your team because I'm pretty sure the Steelers have had not an outbreak, but I think they had. Um, they had to put some players on. Yes, they had a. Uh, they had their quarterbacks coach 
had to be cleared. He's cleared to return to the building and coach in Wednesday's game. But their special teams coordinator is not going to be for Wednesday's game. At least a dozen Ravens players have tested positive for coronavirus. They still have 20 players on their COVID-19 list. It's just like when it gets to this point, you guys are pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. The Pittsburgh Steelers are supposed to play on Monday next week. So now they have to play on Wednesday and then Monday? That's just ugly. That's just ugly. They're pushing back the um, Baltimore game for next week, too, to Tuesday. So it's like at a certain point, this is going to start catching up to you. And you got to you just got to I don't know. I feel like this is this is one of those moments where you just get to finding people like you just tell them, hey, you messed up. Your team is having a literal outbreak. Get it together. Like you're just supposed to be in a you're supposed to be doing a way better job of this. You're supposed to be your professionals. This is a part of the job. NBA players were literally in a bubble. They couldn't see their families for a while. They couldn't they couldn't really have they not that they couldn't have outside contact, but it was limited. Like they they had a game to do, they had practices to go to. So they had a whole bubble. They didn't put y'all in a bubble, which would be pretty impossible, but they didn't put y'all in a bubble. Y'all had to put yourselves in a bubble and do better. Just honestly, just do better. This is this is honestly annoying. They've postponed the game four times. Like this a, I can only imagine how annoying that is for Steelers players, but they don't have any players. They're good to go. Their team is ready to play. They have some coaches that had that had problems with illness, but they're ready to play. <laughs> the Ravens got 20 dudes on the list still. That's just ridiculous. Um, but I'll go ahead and let that be my segue, be my transition into the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room for this week is coronavirus, man. Like, people got to wise up. People got to really get serious again because... It's obvious. It is really obvious that the world transitioned from quarantine and being on lockdown and trying to avoid coronavirus and not catching coronavirus to suddenly we're just living with it. Everyone's just living with it. I, I like it's just ridiculous. Like I get that wearing a mask is not that comfortable. I get that if you have to wear a face shield in some in some situations, it's not that comfortable. I get it. I get that it's not comfortable. But look at the medical field. Like, look, literally look at them. And you can't say, oh, this is what they signed up for. Because no one signed up for a pandemic. They sound stupid. You can't say that's what they signed up for. But look at them. They're doing it. They do it every day. Day in and out. To help you guys out. To help us out. The least we can do is try and do what half of they do. Freaking wear your mask the right way. The mask goes above your nose. If I can see the points of your nose, then you're not wearing your mask right. Like, it's not that hard to understand, and honestly, it's it's a bit of common sense, but it also is just, it's just people showing you, people showing the ass, honestly. Um, people showing you that they don't really care. They don't, if it doesn't affect them, they don't care. And it's really sad. It's honestly really sad that people have that mentality, and that people act like that. Like, oh, it isn't direct, it hasn't directly affected me, and it currently isn't directly affecting me, so whatever. Like, it's a really sad mentality to have, but... Honestly, we just got to do better. Like, as a community, as a whole, we have to do better. Like, it's just a simple matter of fact. Like, the world has to do better if anyone stands a chance. If anyone actually wants this to go away, if we want to go back to living any resemblance 
of a normal life once again, then we got to do what we did in the first place and actually do it. Everyone has to do it. It can't be a half effort. It can't be some people do it. Some people don't. Everyone has to have a concerted effort to wear their mask in public, to stop going out so much. Like we got to get back to, to where we started at, to the fear, to the panic that everyone had. Everyone was panicking. Everyone was in fear. But honestly, that was the good thing because it forced everyone to actually follow the rules. Now people are finding their loopholes. People are working around the rules. People are saying, oh, I'm good. Oh, I already had it. Oh, this blah, blah, blah. Wait, whatever it may be. It's just excuses. And at the end of the day, people are still dying. <laughs> like, even if you don't think you're going to die, like, you don't know. <laughs> like, people are still dying from this. And people are still having long-term effects from this. So there's, you have a bunch of people saying they're protecting their rights. No, you're not. <laughs> it's not, no one, a mask is not hindering your rights in any way. In any way, shape, or form. Anyone says that is absolutely comical. Like, please, please hit me up and ask and explain that to me on how wearing a mask is hindering your rights in any way, shape, or form. It's absolutely ridiculous. So that's my elephant in the room is that coronavirus, once again, I said this in March. I said this months ago, dude. <laughs> I said this in June when we were when we started this podcast in July. I said it's not going anywhere. And here we are, here I am in December still saying it's not going anywhere. And it's not a matter of, oh, it's another it's another outbreak. It's people just being stupid. It's people not wanting to follow the rules. It's not people actually really wanting it to be to be gone. Because here we are with another outbreak, with it getting worse once again. So I gotta go back to my old ways and let y'all know. Make sure you're washing your hands, make sure you're staying six feet. Do not sit around and just sanitize, sanitize, sanitize your hands. Wash your hands and then sanitize them. Just sanitizing your hands over and over again during the day is a little bit better than nothing. A little bit. A very finite amount better. If you're not washing your hands, then sanitizing your hands over and over again is pretty pretty useless. So do both. Wash your hands and sanitize them. Keep the contact down from other people outside of your home. Just try. Just try. Do what you can. I'm the first person to tell you to live your life and don't let quarantine, don't let the lockdown mess you up too far. Don't let it take you too far. Do not let that dark hole get bigger. But like, be safe. (laughs) Be smart. Do not do not take risks. Don't think, oh, I'm doing this and I know where he's been. I know where she's been. It's not a risk. No, you don't really know where everyone's been unless you can really unless you can really seriously pinpoint who, what and where everyone's been doing that you've been hanging out with. Then you probably shouldn't be with them. And I could be a little bit better and taking that a little more serious. And I will. But I also don't be willy nilly with it. Like I don't if I am unsure of your surroundings and who you've been around, then I will wear my mask around you. But at the same time, people are most people are getting it from their family and friends. So we have to stop being so trusting. We have to start assuming that everyone has it and stop assuming like, oh, they're good. Oh, they're good. Only things gonna make you good is positive tests so, or, or negative tests. So unless you got a whole group of people who everyone's gotten tested in the last tested multiple times too, tested multiple times in the last couple in the last week, then you probably shouldn't be acting like you're so safe. We need to exercise a little more caution, honestly. But that does it for episode 24. That was for my boy, Bean. Thank you guys so much for another week. As I said, please, please, please stay safe. And most importantly, be blessed. Dame out.